All right, let's take some time here tonight. Let's go to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel and chapter number 13 tonight. I want to ask you as we begin here, I want to ask you to think about the best sports game you have ever watched or been at personally. Maybe you were a part of it personally. The best sports game that you've ever been at. Mr. Milligan and I had a conversation about, was it the 2015? Was it the Big Ten Championship game this afternoon? We were talking about it and how it came down to literally inches of, of going one way or the other. And unfortunately, that didn't, didn't fall so well for the Hawkeyes. But whether it be football, whether it be basketball, just in your mind's eye, think of that that special game that you watched. And now what were some components of it? Anything? Yes. The crowd was into it. Okay. What else? What were some things maybe about the score or... You're winning, okay. That's always good. <laughs> Some of the most tension-filled games that I've ever watched and I've ever been a part of included something at the tail end of the game. It's normally called overtime. Overtime. And uh, probably my favorite memory is winning a college basketball championship that I got to be a part of in uh, making a couple shots near the end of the game that sent the game into overtime. And it was a low-scoring affair. <laughs> and it was 44 to 44 going into overtime. And uh, I had the game-winning assist that won the game. And then we all went out to Culver's afterwards and celebrated. So that was pretty neat. But putting that all in the back of your mind, all of that in the back of your mind, let's look together now at first Samuel 13. Israel, if you'd remember a couple weeks back, has won some great victories at the, uh, with Saul at the helm. And he has, he has been right there to establish Israel again as a country that feared the Lord. In fact, just a chapter ago, Saul is there with Samuel at Gilgal. Samuel has a family chat with Israel, and he tells them that, hey, you need to listen, you need to come back to God as being the king of Israel, not Saul being the king of Israel. And if you fear the Lord, and you and your king follow the Lord, then God will fight your battles. And so Saul was there to establish Israel again as that country that feared and looked to the Lord to fight their battles. So let's pick up the narrative beginning in verse 1 of chapter 13. It says, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout the, all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also was had in abomination with the Philistines. And all the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. Okay, that's a lot of people. All right, and people as the sand which is which is on the seashore in multitude, 
And they came up and pinched, pitched at Michmash, eastward of Beth, from Bethlehem. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, when then the people did hide themselves in the caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. A pretty rough situation if you would put yourself in the, in the sandals of King Saul at this point as he's trying to lead this, these people and all of them are distressed. They're in a strait. They don't know what to do because they fear this multitude as the sand of the seashore that has gathered and has pitched themselves right at the Philistines. And you ask yourself, well, that's, that was a hard passage to read. What exactly, yes, I know there's all these people that are coming directly for them, but what exactly is going on in the relations between them? It can be just tempting to skip over this and get right to the part that we always hear in Sunday school, or we heard in Sunday school about Saul's disobedience. We're a bit more familiar with that, but what really is happening in the background here? The army of Saul, under the leadership of his son Jonathan, has just won a great victory. They defeated a garrison of the Philistines, and now the Philistine army has heard about it. And they've marked Israel as an abomination towards them, as a, as, as a country that is coming to knock off the captivity that the Philistines want to have over Israel. And so that's what that means when it says that uh, in, in verse 4, and that Israel also was had an abomination with the Philistines. It doesn't mean Israel was doing anything wrong. It can be hard to understand that English. Uh, it's not that they were, they were in an abomination against the Lord. It's they were marked as an abomination against the Philistines. The Philistines wanted to destroy them. And so now the Philistines gather themselves to attack and were closing in on this central position of Gilgal, which was all flat land. It was wide open for attack. And so some of, the Israels got, uh, some of Israel got afraid, as probably you and I would. And so they started hiding in caves and in thickets. And, uh, and some of them, even in verse uh, 7, it says, and some of the Hebrews went over Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. Well, why was that so significant? That was known as the high ground. And so if you wanted to get up to the high ground where you, where you would have a better chance of winning any fight, you would cross over the Jordan into that land. However, their leader, Saul, he was yet at Gilgal. Why did he stay? Why didn't he go to the high ground? Why didn't he lead the entire army to the high ground? Well, remember, Saul, had, Saul and Israel had repented just moments, just, just, just days before, that they wanted the Lord to be the one to fight their battle. And so he came to Gilgal to wait. I want you to take just a couple pages back and go to 1 Samuel chapter 10. This is why he's here, because he was told of the Lord by Samuel to wait here. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 8, it says, And thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto thee, to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days shalt thou tarry till I come to thee, 
and show thee what thou shalt do. So here is a command, a clear command to wait seven days and wait for Samuel to come and offer those offerings that only the priest should be offering. That was how God designed it. Now go back to chapter 13 and look at 13 verse 8. This is what Saul does. And he tarried, that's Saul, seven days according to the set time Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. Now, most commentators you read will tell you that the sin of Saul was not waiting the full seven days. That's not what we see here in Scripture. It says that, and he tarried seven days according to the set time Samuel had appointed. He fulfilled it. He did everything that Samuel had asked him to do. But let me ask you this. If his sin wasn't to wait, it wasn't not waiting, then what was it? It was when obedience took over time. And in this case, it did. When God asked him to wait beyond the time that he had been asked to wait by his leadership. God always demands obedience. But what about when obedience goes outside of the physical parameters set by the men and the women that we respect? What, does it, what if it doesn't match up letter for letter to the law of the command that we were given? It, do we have the justification then to start manipulating things or taking things into our own hands? Does God still care about us obeying when it takes more than regulation to win? What does God want us to do? So I want to propose to you tonight, obeying the Spirit of God's commands to us means that we don't take things into our own hands, even when the clock runs out. Let's pray. Father, would you help us tonight just to see this simple truth from Saul, Lord, when obedience takes over time. And Lord, sometimes it does. It feels like everything around us is crushing down, and uh, the, the enemy is closing in. We're, we're starting to believe the lies of the enemy. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to see that we need to obey you. And when you tell us to move, we move. And when you tell us to stay put, we stay put. Lord, I pray that you'd instill in us tonight the fear of God. And Lord, would you bring us back, as you did Israel many times, to Gilgal to show them and to show us here tonight Lord, how to fear you properly. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Let's look at just a few keys tonight uh, of Saul's downfall and how to avoid this trap of the enemy. Let's look at verse 9. Verse 9 of chapter 13. And Saul said, Bring hither the burnt offering to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of the burnt offering, of offering the burnt offering. So he didn't, even, uh, he didn't even get to the peace offerings or anything else that, that, that was supposed to be offered. Literally, right in the, at the end of the first sacrifice, Samuel shows up. Behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? What have you done? This is not what you were told by the Lord to do. So you continue in verse 11, and Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, 
and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. I want you to notice first here tonight the three lies that caused Saul to put himself in this position. Three lies that he was believing by the enemy. And so firstly, he says to Samuel, because I saw that the people were scattered from me. He believed the lie that he was alone. He says, I was alone. And that lie that's believed by the enemy is, is everyone has left, therefore I must do something courageous towards my reputation and to save God's reputation to make them come back. And that sounds good. That sounds good. You know, In the eyes of Saul, he was doing a good thing. I believe Saul did have a real want to follow the Lord and to have a heart towards the Lord in making that sacrifice. But God was not about good intentions. God was about obedience. He was not about sacrifice, as we'll find out a couple uh, chapters later in 1 Samuel when he does the exact same thing. He does not do exactly what the Lord has, has, had, had commanded. But to believe this in your own life is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a major fallacy. The fact to say, God, I've got to do something because I'm all alone. I have to do this. Otherwise, your reputation is going to be at stake. My reputation is going to be at stake. Don't you believe God can protect his own reputation? Don't you believe that God can, 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 can protect himself and, and what in his word and keep his word even when it takes over time? The second lie he believed was that leadership was unreliable. Therefore, it justifies what I'm doing. The lie here, he says, and, it, and thou camest, and that thou camest not within the days appointed. Saul, to his knowledge, he had followed to the T everything that Samuel said, and he did. But the lie that he believed from Satan is, my sin is justified because my leader did not follow through with what he said he would do or be where he said he would be at the time appointed. And my friends, leadership will fail you. Leadership won't always be there right when they say they're going to be there. Leadership might not follow through all the time. And, and trust me, as a leader standing before you here tonight, I'm not perfect. Don't put me on that pedestal. But I'm asking you tonight, even when I'm not perfect, even when leadership in any scenario is not perfect, I'm telling you tonight that's a lie from the enemy to say, because leadership's not perfect, I can take things into my own hand. I don't have to wait for God. I don't have to wait for God. The third lie that he believed was the enemy is closing in. Not even God will be able to protect me from this if I wait any longer. And, and his choice to say, I have to do this so that God's hand of blessing is on our army. I've got to, I, all, everybody's leaving me, leadership's not here, bam, enemy is going to be here, I'm on flat ground, I'm not on high ground at all, I've got to do something. And we start moving when God didn't say to move. Or, on the flip side, we don't move when God says to move. These lies that Saul believed from the enemy led to Saul actually lying himself to the man of God. We see that in verse 12. Therefore, said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, 
and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. It sounds good. Then he says, I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. Does this sound like somebody else in Scripture to you? Does it remind you of anything uh, of anybody else? The, what? A close, very close, Aaron. Aaron, if you, if you look, if you want to put your finger there and turn to Exodus chapter 32, we find another man who was in a very similar situation. The clock had run out and overtime had begun and he caved to the pressure of the people that were all around him. They were waiting for Moses to come off the mount who was meeting with God, receiving a message from God. And as Moses is coming down the mount, he hears the sound of war. And as he comes down with Joshua to inspect, he sees Aaron, and in verse 21 of chapter 32, Exodus chapter 32, verse 21, And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee, that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? What did he done? He had made them a golden calf to worship. He had made them so that they were exposed and shamed among all the other nations. And, and, and this is what he said, Aaron said, verse 22. And Aaron said, Let not the anger of the, my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. For as for Mo, this Moses, the man that, hath, has, that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not that has become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. Did he not? He did. He said, bring it to me. But then his, his line set in. So they gave it to me, then I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. Boom! <laughs> just, it just appeared. I don't know, Moses, I don't know where that came from. It just popped out of, popped out of the fire. And, and this, this spirit within, within Aaron is the same spirit of lying from the father of lies that was in Saul. And this, because Saul had believed a lie from the enemy that, he was, that, that they were going to lose, that they were already getting closed in on, that there was nothing that, that God could do to protect him, he started Believe, not only believing the lies, but telling lies himself. <clears throat> the Bible never tells us exactly the consequence for the sin of Aaron. It just tells us at the end of the chapter 32 that, the, the, that Israel was plagued, and then it goes on into chapter 33. But there was a definite consequence for their sin. They didn't need to wait for Moses, they thought. They didn't win when overtime was needed. They didn't win. And God's judgment fell on Saul the same in the same way. Look back at 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 13 now. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Notice just three things that Samuel says here to Saul. 
Number one, thou hast done foolishly. That tells me that disobedience, and this should come as no surprise to you, but disobedience is the way of a fool. Disobedience is the way of a fool. A couple chapters later, it says disobedience is as the sin of witchcraft. That's how, that's how serious God deals and talks about disobedience. Disobedience is the way of a fool. And if you need any uh, research on, on what the way of a fool is or how much God hates foolish thinking or foolish living, just read the book of Proverbs. Secondly, he says, Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord. But, but what, what are you talking about, Samuel? I waited seven full days. Samuel wasn't concerned about the letter of the law. He wasn't concerned that he had waited seven full days. He didn't wait overtime. He didn't, he didn't win because he didn't keep the, command, the spirit of the law, the spirit of the commandment of the Lord. Partial obedience equals no obedience. Thirdly, he missed out on a blessing that was to be had now. Look at verse, the end of verse 13. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. You think if Saul knew that this very decision, that this very decision in his life the entire kingdom hinged on this? Do you think he would have made a different choice? He would have. If he knew that, that this very decision that he was going to make would, would establish the kingdom forever, that, that there was a reward like that, he would have obeyed. He would have waited seven more days. But God says to him through the voice of Samuel, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people because thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord. Disobedience to God affects blessings that God wants us to have now. That's how much God hates disobedience. So in conclusion, the sin, this sin in our own life is more than just a sin of not waiting. Okay? I bring it down to bottom shelf, cookie level here. God's, in God's economy, it's not just about waiting until the clock runs out. It's about trusting Him to do what He says He's going to do. It's about asking Him, trusting those attributes that we've been going over on Sunday mornings, trusting that God is faithful when He says He's faithful. When we're not in submission to God and waiting for Him to tell us when to move on something. And we take things into our own hands, we mess things up. We miss out on the will of God. And God says this, this disobedience, this sin of disobedience, it's the way of a fool. It's only partial obedience. And, and lastly, you miss out on the blessing that he wants for you now. So how do we avoid that trap? James 4, 7, submit yourselves to the Lord. Therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You say, does it really take that? Yes. You have to resist. Saul did not resist the lies of the enemy. He believed, I'm all alone. He believed that, that, that Samuel's not coming. Leadership has not kept their end of the bargain. I've waited seven days. What if it takes overtime? 
And he believed that God, not even God, could protect them. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Psalm 34, 9, and I think this gets down to the heart of this passage right here. Psalm 34, 9, Only fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. You're not going to be in want if you have a proper fear of God. If you have, if you, and, and what do I mean by that? that? That you're constantly cowering in fear of, of, of disobeying him? No, it's that you have a proper awe of him and you're scared to disobey him because I don't want to miss out on the blessing that he has for me right now. If God said, do this, and I'm not moving, if I'm not, if I'm not moving forward, then I am disobeying God. I need to fear him. Obey God even when it takes overtime.